Good afternoon, Moablandia and great wide open listeners from near and afar. This is part one of a two-part interview today where we are highlighting one of my favorite things in life, which is the Olympics. And I basically don't care what Olympics it is, if it's curling, if it's, I don't even know. Think of whatever obscure sport you can think of. I will be glued to any TV I can find watching the Olympics. And we're gonna start out today with Moab part-time resident and my personal favorite Olympian, Pete Patterson. <laughs> Pete, welcome to Great Wide Open. Thank you, Lisa. You have been um, a great addition to our community and to our ski community, and it's super fun having you here in Moab getting to know you. But we're going to backtrack to young Pete Patterson. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about your background and how you became an Olympian. Well, um, that was a long time ago, so I'm <laughs> trying to dig through the old memory banks, but um, I grew up in Sun Valley, Idaho, and uh, my parents were both ski instructors, and um, my dad was a land surveyor and a ski instructor in the winter, and so I was super fortunate to have grown up there at the bottom of a big, great ski mountain, Bald Mountain, Baldy Mountain in, in Idaho, and um with parents that were really supportive of, of us skiing every day after school and made a huge effort to um, just make it really fun and uh, and do it as a just a, a great activity and then it turned into you know getting on um, the junior program which we had an amazing amount of uh, people involved to bring a, together a great little race program in Idaho and and uh, so we all started in uh, grade school started meeting after school and running slalom gates behind the house and and uh, we had a great uh, bunch of coaches to encourage us and most of all these made it really fun and uh, it wasn't really serious at all and we were just out there having fun and then later on we started realizing that it was it was a we were super fortunate to have uh, the opportunity to ski um, competitively and by having all the great opportunities there we could actually be competitive so we all really got into uh, ski racing at a young age you know nowadays people might think of Sun Valley as this destination ski area and lots of hotels and lodges and things like that and fancy lifts and warm lifts and gondolas <laughs> but it was a little bit different when you were a kid yes it was still a great mountain but it was a real basic uh, three-chair system that went from the bottom of the mountain to the top um, so now it takes 12 minutes to go 3300 feet it used to take almost an hour to get to the top and we'd we'd stop two-thirds of the way up at the roundhouse for hot chocolate because we were all frozen to death by by then and then uh, we continued on uh, to the top of the mountain so it was slow single chairs and uh, not a lot of hotels it was just a little ski community and and a great place to grow up you grew up with four other siblings so there are five of you yes all running around just yep. raging in the outdoors and I think a lot of people might think of the Olympics and it's easy to get slightly jaded, but really most Olympians come to their sport because of a true love of the outdoors and an outdoor activity that has funneled them into um, a more competitive aspect of the sport. 
No, that's really that's really true. Um, I think things have changed a lot now because it's it is so competitive and it's such a high high level of of training and and at a super young age where back then it was more about you had to train but it was it was a little bit more freestyle you could kind of do it at your own own pace and and for us it was just the love of skiing just being up skiing and a lot of days we didn't feel like we wanted to go train gates we just free ski the mountain and i think that's probably one of the reasons we all enjoyed it and kept with it because it wasn't so so strict uh rules and training and had to do this this day and that the other days then it was sort of like do what do what makes sense and has you know gives you pleasure and and at the same time really work hard and try to improve your skills well in in part two of this interview we are having a conversation with kyra condi who is a USA Olympian on one of the newest sports to be accepted into the Olympic format, and that's sport climbing. Sport climbing is kind of at that level right now where it's a little bit like we have a federation now, and they have um, a training facility in Salt Lake, and they're training together, but they're not on that regimented, or not all of them, routine yet the way that probably modern ski racers are. At this Olympics, there's a limited number of medals that they will award. So there'll be one medal for women, one medal for men. So the athletes will be competing in a combined format. I don't know if ski racers still do that, but back in your day, you had to do it all. Yeah, it kind of depends nowadays on on the athlete. But during my time of racing, things started to transition over from kind of being all-around skiers two specialists. There's still some great all-around skiers. Um, If you look at Michaela Schifrin, she can run downhill, she can run slalom, and it's pretty unusual now that you can get somebody that good in in all the disciplines. So yeah, I was sort of at the transition period where people were starting to specialize, which made it really hard to compete with those people because that's all they did was that one specialty, and you're trying to do too much maybe to try to cover all the disciplines but I also think it's more entertaining too to to keep open and to be able to run different disciplines and not be too locked into one one thing and and one can complement the other if you know how to use it and if you look at Michaela I, I look at it now and I go if I could make one turn like she makes every turn in <laughs> my career, I would have been happy. It's just I bet phenomenal. You did. <laughs> because uh your your career was was pretty darn storied. He'd never tell you this, but he was a world bronze medalist and a fifth place finish in the Olympics, which at the time tied for the highest place an American had made in the downhill. Yeah. Fortunately <laughs> since then we've had some men's successes and Tommy Moe and, and uh, Bill Johnson and uh, winning the downhill event. So it took quite a few years for the Americans to actually be competitive in downhill. We've had some great skiers through the years, but it just seems like it's getting better and better. And the team in general is getting more competitive on the world stage. Yeah, you definitely think of Americans as there's an expectation in pretty much all the alpine events that you're going to see somebody. Right, yeah. Podiuming. Yeah, yeah, there definitely is. And it's not an easy thing in a European sport. Um, Most of the competitions are in Europe. You have to live in Europe for long periods of time. And so there's a 
fair amount of burnout just from not you know not being able to go home but over the years the the US ski team has figured out how to, to manage a lot of that and get really good people involved to help the athletes and it's it's really fun to watch and see how successful they've been in the last few years yeah that's interesting to think cuz you know i think of skiing as being one of the oldest sports of the kind of modern era of olympics and especially winter olympics because right. as we know in greece they probably weren't doing <laughs> <laughs> there probably wasn't a lot of giant slaloming no. going on no to think of America or USA as still being kind of climbing through that discipline. Yeah, it it really is. It's um, you know, I I it's funny because I watch the I watch the Olympics and the World Cup now and I'm like, wow, I used to race with that guy's father, you know. So all these guys that are coming through and in uh it's it's amazing how many of those kids are people from the era I raced in and uh and it just shows you how how it goes through their system and they're born to ski race and that was what they did and that's what their family did and it was really fun for us to be able to compete against them and and ski over there and it was um I feel really fortunate to be able to have done it well and you guys um maybe were little bit of dark horses on the international scene in the era you competed in the 76 and 80 olympics and if america was still kind of figuring it out how to be competitive in that field maybe it took a little you had a little less pressure when you showed up at events so you could ski yeah that, that's true day. because no one expected us to do, do that well i mean i had some some teammates with the like the mayor brothers who who could actually win races and win world cup titles um which was you know feel fortunate to be able to have teammates that were that good and really push me but yeah there was a there wasn't a whole lot of pressure when you went to Austria in at a ski race and and you look at the Austrian team and there were they were expected to win and you could see it those guys were under a lot of stress and a lot of pressure and and uh and we were probably a little bit maybe having a little bit more fun because we, we weren't so serious <laughs> we, we, we were just like well probably not going to win today but i should have fun trying <laughs> well yeah and you could ski to win not to not lose that's that's a great uh analogy yeah and it just it freed you up and um and you know, but the the desire was always there to try. You know, to look. You saw what people were doing out there, and you're like, "Wow, it would be really when you excel at any sport to 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 make a perfect run or a perfect turn, and to finally kind of do that here and there. It's a really great feeling, it's, and you're just trying to. You want to be able to do it more. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> and faster, <laughs> and faster, and not just not just a few turns of the race, but the whole race. And and that's what you see now, that the athletes are making every turn so perfect. It's insane. Yeah. You know, when you watch the Olympics, you hear these sprinters always talk about, like, i got to go back and work on my starts. And I'm like, how many starts <laughs> yeah. have you done in your career? Like, you've right. got to go back and, to that fine. And how like, can I make it better? Yeah, and I'm sure it was the same thing when you were ski racing. You were like, how can I, like, get so close to the gate Right, but not clip it yeah. to the point where it slows me down at all. Yeah, I mean, I I always felt like personally there was, I would look at video runs of like Franz Klammer, Ingemar Stenmark, so I could see 
for my personal performance, the, the, the gap that was between myself and the best of the world. So it was sort of like, no, I, I get what I need to, to work on and how I need to do, make it better. But you're also like, just you need to become a better athlete in general and and that was well at that a level it's training. so hard because yeah the difference between um picking up skiing the first time and the skier you are a year later versus when you're already at the top of your field and you're trying to make these just tiny minute shaving seconds that's right and you're you're like a ha- trying to, to maybe improve by a half a second over a minute long or or a two minute course a half a second's pretty small and when you look at those little time gaps between the best who won the race and maybe you were 20th that day it's a pretty small gap in time if you just look at the time you're like there's there's no way I can there it's such a small gap and then you look at the run and you're like well you can break it down into sections and you're like okay I lost two tenths there and three tenths in this section so you can you can kind of see it but it's hard you sometimes you it's easy to try too hard and just try to force things to happen and then you lose the natural athletic ability that you have to just let it happen you're trying so hard and you're maybe kind of stiff and you're not letting it flow and one analogy I heard of one of the European girls talk about Michaela she goes she she doesn't ski a race in race race she just flows and and that's what you wanted to try to do is flow with momentum and when it's flowing it seems easy (laughs) well and and one person's flow might be a half second slower than Michaela's and and that that's the big that's the big difference right there uh, I mean, you you felt it uh, climbing when you're trying, you're just thrashing to try to get a move and you're trying to do everything. And then one day you just sort of float through it with very, it seemed like little effort. Yep. And you're like, wow, how I did seem like I tried harder, but everything clipped, clipped your mental ability or your physical ability. Everything knew what to do and you re- relaxed and you were able to let it happen. And that was always a hard thing to do. Competing was you're trying so hard that you're you're trying too hard, and you're just and and uh, it's not happening because you're you're just trying to force it rather than just let things happen. And that's where the the whole thing with um, becoming a better athlete is the whole mental physical part of it to be able to improve, let your mental let your mental part force your body to relax and do its thing and not to try to force it and to be a robot just to let it be a, a, a smooth athlete and that's hard when you're well, trying. it's hard because sometimes those flow days they, they don't necessarily like are like oh okay yeah. so we, we have a world cup on january 12th so save the flow day <laughs> yeah right for, you know like when i was climbing at a higher level i used to think i have like two days a year where climbing just feels ridiculously easy right like, like you and, just and why can't it be more of those days yeah why can't it be like that every third day and it wouldn't even necessarily <laughs> correlate to like you might not send your route that day like sometimes you would you know do your hardest climbing on days that feel the worst right and it's like why can't i like <laughs> tap into this more routinely and, and you don't know why it just yeah. it just happens and that's the crazy things with sports and and that's what 
what, what looking at things now is how some of these athletes can go every single race and be so consistent and it's the consistency thing just it's amazing to me that they can do it um race after race just yeah it's i don't know how well i think there's such another level because it is so much more organized now and they have physios right and they have psychologists yeah, and yeah that's true they do simulations yeah. Yeah. i mean there's so much that they can do it sounds that's like true. you know like when you start to get into these things it might sound like it could take a love of doing the activity away but like you said earlier honing in on your precision even if it means being academic afterwards exactly can actually enhance your enjoyment exactly because there's so much to learn and it's fun to improve and it's fun to get better and for me it was never about like you know beating the next guy or it was all about just personal improvement for me getting better and as getting better I my results would get better but I the competition end of it was never about you know beating this guy or that guy it was just about like just how much fun it is to get better at a sport and and um, that reward of just the feel on your skis of improving was that was even if I didn't win the race if, as long as I was feel getting that feel it was very rewarding do you have any particular races that stand out in your mind for like having that feeling of like i don't care where i finish that was one of the greatest runs i've ever had on two planks (laughs) or sticks back in the day (laughs) yeah sticks i think there was times uh like in in lake placid um when i was fifth in the, the in the downhill i had half of a race where i felt like i really got to a level that I wanted to get to. I just felt relaxed and smooth and and then the other half was not the total opposite but just wasn't competitive. There was very few races that I had where I felt like from top to bottom I had that. I, yeah. I mean, you know, I almost felt like for me I I loved to train and I love to be in on the glaciers in the fall in Europe and, and train. And um, I had my best, my best resu- or skiing in training. And just, I, I, the competing was fun, but it, I, I just enjoy, and I think I was able just to relax more with the training. And I think I, I think I skied a lot better with, I know I did in a lot of the training than I did and maybe it was just because then I was putting too much pressure and trying to make it happen where when you're training, you're just like, you know, let it happen and just, you know, go for it. But yeah. there was not a lot of races. I felt like well, <laughs> great I, from top to bottom. I, I wonder, like, like does, what, does Michaela go home and like lie in bed at night and go, geez, I really wish that I'd been better on gate eight. Like that, that was kind of a well, bummer, even though she's winning. I think this year she was definitely analyzing some of her, you know, you could see it, you know, you could see some mistakes that she generally wouldn't make. And then she's always striving for per- perfection. So even when she has a great run, she's probably looking for <laughs> things she could have done better. Well, and yeah. in- injuries you can play such a huge part. Even if you have a small injury mentally, it can be hard to come back because you don't want to be in that situation again and you know that like oh yeah you yeah you've had some yeah I had some spectacular injuries (laughs) I had a quite a few injuries during my um racing career and 
I think sometimes when you do get injured and you step away from a while, for a while, you're pretty motivated when you come back. For some some athletes, they're superstars when they're 17, and others take a long time to develop and get get better and better and and learning more. And I felt like I was starting to and enjoy it more too because I was, you know. I knew that I didn't have a lot of years to do it. And I mm-hmm. better enjoy it while yeah. I can. But yeah, the injury part. But in, unfortunately, in that sport, a lot of people. It's you know, it's the way it is. There's a lot of people getting injured and having to come back, and very many few few athletes come through the sport unscathed. Were you ever in the lineup at the top of the mountain and you? hear like oh yeah such and such went down on that turn and then oh another oh, one went down on that oh, turn. oh another one it was it was terrifying a lot of times you'd be getting in the starting gate and you're just you're just so focused and you're ready to go and then you know there's like maybe 15 seconds before the gate opens and all of a sudden oh, all the chatter on the radio and though there's a hold and the starter pushes you out of the starting gate and then you're sitting there, and then you hear the helicopter come oh in, and you're just like, and you know that guy that got hurt's really good. <laughs> you know, he's probably better than you are. And um, it was uh, that was that was hard to 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 get motivated and not be distracted. Yeah. The fear of it because the the when you let the fear come in, you it really makes a big difference on your performance if you can keep the fear away and just be so concentrating at the task at hand and only thinking about what you want to do in that course there's no room for all those negative thoughts or whatever to come through but they like to but they like to and and you see it you know and you're there for you know 15 20 minutes while they're you know flying some guy off and you're you know certain courses are you know certain days there's there's injuries and you try to block them out and just like well that's not going to happen to me (laughs) well and you're going so fast what would you like what would your mental approach while you're skiing that fast what would you just not think of anything or would you have like sets of things that you think about so so for me um the the best frame of mind was just being so focused that nothing could could uh penetrate and and uh, and kind of keep you away from doing what you wanted to do and then you break the course down in sections um it's like a client you know climbing you have this section of this move and then this and then and then you just take one at a time one section at a time and try to but it comes at you really fast so as one (laughs) as one as one finishes you have to be ready for the next one and so um for me, I always really liked running the the courses that you ran every year because you could. You, there was you no surprise. You exactly. could red point it exactly. <laughs> like there, and black. there was no surprises. Yeah. I mean, the conditions of the snow and whatever might change a little bit, but um, those courses that were always the scariest for me were, you know, the ones they only ran once out of three years or whatever. The hard part in downhill was really where things slowed down and you're making really hard hard turns and over big jumps and maybe at a little bit lower speed than the higher speed tracks but that was you, the speed really didn't didn't bother you it wasn't the speed it was more about the 
just the forces in the turns yeah. and and uh, keep trying to keep it upright over the jumps and all that. Did you ever like come out of the gates or get halfway through a course and just bail? Like, <laughs> I can't do this. I'm just too freaked out. Or did you just go to like, the faster I get done, the faster it's over. <laughs> well, when you're racing, you couldn't do you never, that. Yeah, I mean, if you're going you, too if fast. You, well, and also if you finish the race and you're X amount of seconds out, and you see it, you see your run on television, and you're just like, oh my god, you gotta at least try. And so my my thought was always like, well, even if I wanted to bail out, you can't, and you better just go out swinging, just go <laughs> go as fast as you can. And if something happens and you you blow out or whatever, that's that's easier to take than. Uh, how did you get the, how'd you get that mental approach after having such like severe injuries like a broken femur that's a good question because generally a lot of times when you get hurt is is when you're on the defense and you're scared if you're skiing really aggressive and you're just going for it you're skiing better and you're in a better position so you have actually less chance of of being hurt so so it doesn't no, matter is, yeah. if you're going 75 or 85 miles an hour. They're still going to hurt. Yeah. So you might as well be <laughs> going, 85. going 85 when you're in a good position and you're going for it. <laughs> if you're 75 in your back seat and just tentative, then you maybe for sure going to get hurt. It's definitely a funny thing about, especially sports like skiing or mountain bike or something where you have something under you or, you yeah, know, yeah. That's, that's like making you go fast. Exactly. And even with my like little Mickey Mouse mountain biking, I have my little rule of like, if you're, if you're committed, you're committed. Exactly. And if you commit, you've got better. Yeah. You have to, you can't change your mind about a jump when you're in midair. You exactly. just have to. Yeah, and if one surprises you, and you're flying off the back of your, you're supermaning off the back of your bike, you're like, well, okay, I got two choices. One is to just ditch the bike and and get injured. It's just a matter of how bad. Right. And the other is to just try to stick ride it out. Yeah. And the injury might be worse, but the chance of success is better. That's exactly and the same. And your brain is thinking all these things in this. I know, and that's exactly the same thing. It's 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 if you're if you're you go, okay, well, I'm going to go for it because I'm committed. You have a better chance of getting through it than you do if you're like... <laughs> well, clearly, ski racing um, as like... You, you were on the U.S. team as a 16-year-old? Yeah. And then yeah. when did you wrap? I was like 24 or so. 24? Yeah. But yeah. you're still skiing. Oh, yeah. And I you're... love it more now than I think I ever have. I love to... I just love to ski. And, and for me, like... Some people like, oh, the skiing's not very good. It's like, well, it's always good, you know. And, and just to be able to go put the skins on and walk on skis, to be able to have that privilege of walking in the mountains is amazing. Yeah, I don't think I'll ever get sick of it. Somebody put it, it's the medium between a, like a flying sport and a water sport. And it's a good way to look at it because just sliding on skis, it doesn't matter if you're skiing down a big run or just just cruising across the flat, just that gliding sensation of, of having these uh, slaps on your feet just moving. It's really fun. Well, will you be watching the Summer Olympics? Oh, for sure. Cheering on Team oh, USA? Oh, yeah. I love, I love watching it. 
I, I do love too. watching, like you said, just all the different sports and, and just to see the different athletes in different parts of the world and, and show how they grew up and how they became, you know, Olympic yep. uh, athletes. And it's, it's really fun. And I'm really happy they're going to happen because it's, it's time that I'm happy too. Yeah. I hope that I hope they can make it work for the yeah. for the local folks and yeah. find a good balance have as for they've sure. been able to do with some of the other bubble sports we've seen in the past year. Yeah. Cuz this is a very unique. We didn't even talk it about is. that part, but yeah, it's going to yeah. be a very unique Olympics. It is. It... I'm so <laughs> glad that we were able to have you give your Olympic perspective here on the show today, but also um to really get a sense of how your love of the outdoors and your love of skiing has been a thread through your whole life. Well, thank you, Lisa. And, you know, I dislike talking about myself <laughs> and I only have, do it because of you. So <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you very much. And I think it's been fun. You always dread stuff, you know, it's like, oh no, what am I going to say <laughs> or whatever. But, um, it's always fun, especially with you. Yeah, well, I could go into the weeds talking about this stuff for hours. So <laughs> maybe we'll do a follow-up yeah. after the yeah, Olympics. For so, sure. Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you, Lisa. Have a great wide open day. You too. <laughs> this concludes part one of our great wide open Summer Olympics special edition. And what fun it was talking to Pete about his um, career and especially his love of skiing. And he did say that he hopes that any kids who are out there listening who are interested in competing at a high level of at any sport, try to bring joy to it and have fun and train as hard as you can because it's just going to make you enjoy your sport more. But never forget why you started, which was a love of the sport and a love of the outdoors. For part two of this edition of Great Wide Open, we get to hear from Kyra Condi, based out of Salt Lake City, Utah, who is a member of Team USA Sport Climbing and will be competing at the Tokyo Olympics. This Tokyo Olympics will be the first time we have ever seen climbing in the Olympics. And it will be a three-part event in which the athletes will have to demonstrate proficiency in speed climbing, which is a race up a wall that is uniform and standard the world over. They will have to compete in bouldering, which will consist of four short, hard problems. And then in sport climbing, which is typically what a lot of people think of rock climbing these days, where a climber ascends a reasonably tall wall with a rope and clips pieces of fixed gear on the way. That will be an on-site event, and whoever gets to the top wins that section of the event. Medals are awarded for performance combined of the three events. It's going to be very exciting, and I am super stoked to watch this event in its premiere, and I was super stoked to talk to Kyra about this. I am sitting down today with Kyra Condi, who is a climbing athlete in the first ever climbing Olympics, which are going to go down in Tokyo in fewer than 60 days. Thank you so much for coming, Kyra, and welcome to Great Wide Open. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
we are super excited to have you here. And I personally am super excited about all things Olympics and super excited to see the sport that I love so much um, being featured its first time in the Olympics. Yeah, it's actually really crazy to be a part of the very first time that climbing will be featured. Um, you know, it's kind of a dream I had as a little kid. And so to see it become a reality and get to be a part of that has been kind of a dream come true. I was actually wondering about that. One of my questions was, um, you know, a lot of kids, if you do a sport competitively, it's kind of hard not to dream of like, oh, what if I could be an Olympian in this sport? So you did as a child think, what if I could be an Olympian in this sport? Kind of, you know, like since climbing wasn't in the Olympics, it was kind of a dream that climbing would one day be in the Olympics. But I guess it didn't really feel like a reality, like if I had grown up as a swimmer or a gymnast or something. Um, so once it did actually become a sport, I was, you know, that was immediately my, my dream was to compete at the Olympics. But I didn't feel like a reality as a kid. Yeah, I mean, climbing in the amount of time that I've participated in climbing, it's changed so much on that format from, you know, the days where a competitor would go to Europe, where climbing had a much longer established tradition in competitive climbing, and just kind of be there on their own, like navigating the waters of competition to now we have USA Climbing, and we have a team who's training for the Olympics. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. And we qualified all four spots that were available for us. So we have two men and two women. Uh, you know, I'm one of the women and there's one other girl, Brooke, and as well as Nathaniel and Colin are our full team representing the U.S. Uh, and that was our full quota. So it's like super exciting. That is super exciting and impressive because you guys had to work really, really hard to earn those spots. And one thing that is different um, for the climbers versus most sports, we are accustomed to watching the Olympics and seeing like, okay, well, we'll have two or three figure skaters, we'll have a guaranteed gymnastics team, you know, three sprinters, three high jumpers. But you guys had to compete on kind of two levels, both as for your country and for yourself to fight for those spots. And can you tell us a little bit about what that process was like? Yeah, so unlike gymnastics or track um, or wrestling, which have an us team trial or team usa trials um we didn't have that we had we had to compete on the world stage in order to earn the quota for the olympics uh and so we weren't guaranteed actually any us quota and i think they even predicted that we wouldn't get one like we'd be lucky if we had one person qualify so the fact that we have all four is like quite cool and we kind of proved them wrong in that aspect um but yeah so we had to go to all the world cups get a good world cup ranking uh get an invite to a Olympic qualification event and then do well enough at that competition to qualify. And so that's actually how I qualified um, was at that Olympic qualification event in Toulouse, France in November of 2019. And was that the second qualifying event or? Yeah. So there was technically three where we were able to qualify. There was world championships, um, which was just the rock climbing world championships. Um, and then the one where I qualified the Toulouse Olympic qualifying event as well as Pan American Championships. So the Pan American event was for Pan America only. There was a European Championships that only Europeans could compete at. Uh, and so the Pan Americans was the last chance where you could qualify. And the, the kind of the pressure filter, to, from my opinion or whatever perspective watching from afar, the pressure would magnify with each event because you had the first event, which you know had all the competitors and a certain amount could go. So like both you and Brooke could have qualified at that event and been 
or you know, all four of you could have qualified at that event. There are men involved too. Um, and then you know, it comes down to Toulouse and the odds are starting to get a little thinner because you're not just competing against the other competitive climbers, you're competing against the US teammates. And then Pan Am is like, that's it, one person for each gender. That must have been pretty intense. I bet you were glad that you didn't have to go to Pan Am. Yeah, it was super stressful. Yeah, the Pan American event, uh, you had to win in order to get the Olympic ticket. So that event obviously was a really high stress. And I went and watched and cheered and I was stressing out in the crowd. So I can't imagine how the competitors in finals felt. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, it was, it was very high stress because, um, yeah, there was that quota for the t U.S. team. So only two women and two men could qualify, which didn't up the stakes among even our teammates because um, – you know, if one person qualified, that meant only one spot was left as well. So it was definitely really stressful. It was kind of your own personal Pan Am games. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so now you're based out of Salt Lake City. You're originally from Minnesota. Yep. And that's where you grew up training um, with our friend, Alex Johnson, who was also um, vying for a spot on the Olympic team. And now you're based out of Salt Lake and you guys have a more formal training facility and experience than climbing has probably ever experienced in the United States. Yeah. You know, USA climbing is changing a lot. Uh, in 2018, we got a new CEO and he has experience with the Olympic cycle uh, and how to uh, form a, a NGB, which is a national governing body to support the athletes as best as possible. And so he's had these dreams of, you know, making these training centers, having full-time coaches, having a full-time PT staff, uh, things like that, which has just made a huge difference for our team. You know, we qualified for athletes. We've had uh, World Cup winners now. Um, and so it's just you can really see what these new resources have provided for our team. Speaking of World Cup, congratulations on um, your performance last weekend. I thought you climbed amazingly well. And um, people can check out on your Instagram. I will post a link to that um, on the video link for this radio show. One of the problems you talked about was really difficult for you um, because of your back. And for people who don't know you, um, you have battled since a child. You've um, had scoliosis and have had corrective surgeries for that. And that is something that is unique to your experience, contorting into these like really insane positions and then muscling out of them. Yeah, so when I was 12 years old, I got diagnosed with idiopathic scoliosis, which means they don't know what caused it. Um, it just happened during my growth spurt. It wasn't an accident or anything. It just kind of happened. It's like how my body formed, I guess. Uh, and so I pretty much immediately needed surgery with how late we found it. It was already pretty severe. Uh, and so I have vertebrae T2 through T12 fused. So that's 10 vertebrae. Um, and basically that entire section of my back is one bone. So instead of having the multiple joints of all the vertebrae, uh, you just have one bone there. And so that makes it really difficult to do bending and twisting, especially, which means especially with this new style of climbing where moves are getting really weird and really funky. Uh, it's <laughs> taking a lot of adjustments for me to figure out how that'll work with my back and how I'll do it. Do you um, experience pain sometimes when you're competing? Yeah, I do have like kind of chronic lower back pain. I sleep on a heating pad every night to deal with it. Um, and then I also work with our PT to figure out uh, you know, what can I strengthen to kind of help with that and things like that. And you were, you know, mentioning the, the kind of the crazy style of um, climbing that we're seeing nowadays in competitions. A lot of people's familiarity with climbing would be, you know, 
kind of the classic guy walking on a snowy hillside with his ice axe or something, you know, with the 45 degree angle would be you know, not steep. It would be like a gentle incline. And nowadays, especially in competitive climbing, you're just seeing a very gymnastic approach to, um, to just the shape of what you guys are climbing, not even just the shape of the holds, but the shapes that you guys are in. And can you like talk about that at all, how it's changed even since you started climbing? Yeah, the style has definitely changed a lot even since I was a youth climber. Um, it used to be a lot more straightforward. Uh, so there wasn't as much bending or twisting involved for sure. I've actually been telling people, I feel like I'm just now coming to terms with my lack of mobility because I haven't really been faced with it that much recently or like in, in my career of climbing, I guess. But now like the moves that we're forced into getting into, it's like kind of making me confront it head on, which I, even though the surgery was back in 2012 or 2010, uh, I am just now kind of coming to terms with, terms with it. Uh, so yeah, the style has changed a lot and I can kind of tell just because of my difficulty adjusting to it. Um, but there are like a lot of really showy gymnastic uh, parkour style moves. That's kind of one of the new school styles. Uh, and we've kind of strayed away from the classic small holds on an overhang style, which is my favorite style, sadly. <laughs> I, I have to admit that I do miss that style of um, route setting and um, the progressive reward for, um, you know, getting rewarded for, we're talking kind of bouldering right now. Um, and that'll, We'll bookmark that about the format um, that you guys have to deal with. Um, but yeah, we'll just go into that. So typically in sport climbing competitions, um, you would have like what they call difficulty, you have bouldering and then speed. And all three of those disciplines have been around for quite a while. And you know, speed is pretty straightforward. It's a race up the wall. What's different from the origins of the sport or that part of the sport is that now you guys are competing on a standardized wall that everybody uses the world over. So basically it's like doing the 110 meter hurdles. The hurdles are always same height, same distance apart. And then there's difficulty, which is a climb up a wall that would be probably what a lot of people would think of as classic. You know, when they drive down the road in Moab and they go by Potash Road and they see people climbing on a rope, that's kind of like the most relatable thing and then bouldering, which you guys are doing small problems over a period of time. People typically used to be specialists, but now you guys have to do all three. Do you think growing up as a, um, as a youth climber, you probably did all three disciplines, so it's probably to you not as unfamiliar as it might be to some of the older athletes? Yeah, this Olympic format is this combined format of all three disciplines of climbing. Um, and yeah, I think that actually is why we have so many U.S. athletes going to the Olympics, since we do have that full quota, is because so many of us grew up in the youth climbing circuit doing all three disciplines. Most other countries tend to have their athletes specialized early on. So, you know, a climber from France maybe was only bouldering since they were a teenager, whereas um, we, all of us, were competing in bouldering lead and speed climbing uh, at a national and youth world's level so we got that experience competing and stuck with it even through um before we knew the olympic format and so then once that became public we obviously leaned into it yeah i mean you kind of had to there was a little bit um you know natural resistance from some people who didn't want to particularly do the speed climbing but um for this olympics that is the format that is going to that the athletes are going to compete in because there's only one set of medals awarded to each gender. 
So they've made it a combined event. Paris, it sounds like, will be two medals, one for speed and one for the difficulty events combined. That's yeah. That'll be for Paris. We'll have four sets, yeah. So two for men, two for women. Speed being a separate discipline, which is the most different discipline of the other two. So it kind of makes sense. Uh, but scoring for a bouldering lead combined is shockingly confusing. So you just have to see how they end up deciding to do that. I think part part of the confusion is that um, the you know the European or World Cup format of zone plus top which any of you listeners out there, if um, it sounds like we're speaking a foreign language, we kind of are, but um, you can easily check this stuff out to um, find out more about the format. But in bouldering, the climbers are not awarded points for every hold they touch. They are um, rewarded for getting to a marked point on the climb and all the climbers know where that point is and they have to show that they're there, like they've showed control, as we say of the hold and then they get another reward for getting to the top of the boulder. I think this is a really stressful format and it makes my palms sweat like watching you guys and like having like 40 seconds left and I'm like oh my god she's got to get the zone she's got to get the zone. <laughs> How do you manage that stress in the bouldering format um, to deal with the fact that like if you don't get to the zone you get no points? Yeah, so I've actually talked to a sports psych a lot about, um, like, my mindset during a bouldering round, especially, and also a lead round, and speed. Honestly, I've talked to her about everything. Uh, but she's helped me a lot with, like, staying focused and staying in the present. So you don't want to be thinking with 40 seconds left, like, I have to get the zone, otherwise I won't make finals. You want to be thinking about what you're doing and how you're going to get the zone, uh, staying present in the moment and figuring out what you have to do instead of thinking about outcomes or what might happen if – X scenario goes through. Uh, and so like kind of just changing that mindset really helped me uh, keep calm during rounds. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, but it is hard. It's really stressful. It, and I mean, I kind of got a little off track here, jumping straight into the format, but um, versus others, pretty much, I couldn't think of any other sport really, um, except for maybe wrestling to a small amount, but not really where the participants you know you're going climbing, but you have absolutely no idea what you're going to be up against. You know, a figure skater or a gymnast has done their routine like thousands and thousands of times. And, you know, she knows when she gets to the end of the program, the triple lutz with her hands over her head is going to be hard, but she knows it's coming. And you guys walk out there and you could just be served four problems. We're talking bouldering still, like boulders get, they get four problems that they're going to have to climb five minutes each problem. You have no idea what you are going to be handed. Yeah. So there is this aspect of competition climbing, especially which is route setters. So that's the people who put the holds on the wall that you're going to be climbing. And yeah, it is kind of, it's a frustrating and cool part about climbing for sure that you are basically put in this isolation zone and you have never seen the climbs that you're going to climb on. And then you see them for the first time and you have to try and climb them and you have five minutes to do it. So it's really cool, but you could also just, you know, the round can suit you. It could accidentally just pick out all of your weaknesses. Uh, you can get really unlucky in that way. Um, you cannot figure out what you're supposed to do on the climb in the amount of time that you have. So there's all sorts of things that you can go wrong. It is, uh, it is really interesting because no matter how much you train, you, you never know what you're going to get in the competition. Uh, and so you just kind of have to train everything. 
Yeah, and I would say um, for you public radio listeners out there, if you've ever um, you know listened to that quiz on on Sunday mornings on NPR, where when you're sitting at home, you can like be like yelling at your radio, going, "Oh, it's so obvious. The answer is Kansas." But when you're the person who's sitting there and you have five minutes to do this, uh, and you might get locked into an idea that is maybe viable, but not the best way for you to do it that day. And you only have five minutes to do it and you're under tons of pressure. So it's a really, I think it's a really intense format compared to pretty much any other sport where you can baseline train and know your training's going great. But then you walk out there and you're like, Oh my gosh, what do I do? Yeah, exactly. And then on top of that, you guys are training for three different disciplines. So not unlike something, you know, like the decathlon or the pentathlon, where, as we've kind of alluded to, someone could be a speed specialist, but not be a very powerful boulder or be a really good route climber, but um, not have a dynamic enough style to do as well the bouldering or some such thing. So how are you balancing that out in your training in terms of like trying to like get all those things you don't have to win them all but you have to do well at them all yeah so my method for training all three disciplines has been to kind of focus on bouldering because it does relate to the other two disciplines the best uh bouldering has has a lot of strength and power uh and if you're a really good boulderer moves on a lead climb uh will feel easier uh and then same with speed climbing it's really powerful and um really dynamic and so that bouldering kind of transfers to speed climbing as well Whereas if I were to only be lead climbing, which is more endurance based, both of my lead and, or sorry, both of my bouldering and speed would suffer. So I've kind of based my climbing around uh, bouldering and then supplemented in the other two. That seems like a, a strong strategy. And it seems like it's one that's working really well for you because it seems to me, you know, watching from afar again, that you are doing really well in this combined format and that it's suiting you really well and you're embracing it. and. From what I can see, again, this is just the perspective of watching from afar. Looks like you're having a lot of fun with it. Thank you. Yeah, no, I I try to. I think in a training session, it's really important to have a good attitude. And, you know, obviously that isn't always the case. And there are days where I'm super unmotivated. I even had one just a couple days ago. Um, But the majority of the time, I think I would say I'm having a really good time training. And so that's, I think, really important. And it looks like you have some really great training partners, including your roommate, you and your, um, room, are you still roommates with Allison Vest? Yeah, she's upstairs right now. <laughs> Hi, Allison Vest upstairs. Um, and Palmer, if he's there too. Um, yeah, she yelled high <laughs> <laughs> Um You guys seem like you just have such a great time and that you're maintaining a really good, positive attitude, even though, um, you know, it's the, the countdown is kind of on. So I'm really glad to see that you guys look like you're having a lot of fun. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, something that's really great about yeah having Allison here is that, you know, we're both focused on similar goals. And so, you know, if one of us doesn't want to go to the gym, the other one will be like, oh, like, we should go today. Like, we can at least go in and stretch, you know, or something, you know, so we, we motivate each other to do that. And um, I, I think it's been really good. Do you have um, regular and routine scheduled training sessions with USA Climbing? Like, you're expected to show up to the gym and all train together on certain days and times? Um, there's nothing that's like expected of us. Um, you know, if I text my coach and tell him I'm coming in and don't you up, then that would be a problem. But, um, <laughs> but we have times that the the gym is open and we can go in there, um, and know that coaches and the PT will be there. Um, but we're not required to go to them. Yeah. So then that is invaluable having a motivated and equally stoked, um, 
both roommate and training partner because it's inevitable that somebody's going to feel a little, eh, and all you need sometimes is just that little, that little nudge to just get you out the door. Like stretching then turns into a four-hour power training session. Totally that, or being able to just like even brag about our sessions to each other. Like uh, we used to do it when Allison lived in Canada and I was here. We would text each other and be like, "Oh, I did this on the board today." Like blah blah, blah. like just you know talk about our sessions and just unabashedly uh, brag about it. And that's, I think something that we can still do is be like, Oh, I did this folder today. And you know, things like that and be like, Oh, sick. So it's been really good. It's good to have that. Um, and once you get to Tokyo, when are you guys going for, to Tokyo? Uh, we are leaving uh, in the end of July. So July, like 19th or 20th. And how much time will you have to adjust before you do your first round of competition? We'll compete about two weeks after that. Two weeks after that. That's good. So um, how, what is the order of events? Is it for, um, you do qualifications first? Yeah, so I believe men go first. And so men will have their qualification day. And then the next day will be women's qualifications. And then the next day will be men's finals. And the next day will be women's finals. And then in the event itself, you start with speed climbing, then do your bouldering round, and then do your leap climb. Um, and you do all three of those in a row in one day. Cow. That's going to be a big day. It is a long day. So like the competition itself lasts about six hours. Are you doing mock-ups in your training? Like, okay, let's get up and do speed and then boulder and then roots? Yeah, our uh, Saturdays have been combined days with me and Nathaniel. That's so great. Oh, well, I'm so excited for um, all of you guys and super glad that we were able to have you sit down with us today and talk about the newest sport um, into the Olympic format. I know I will be sitting here clearing my schedule and cheering loudly and hosting Olympic parties where no one's allowed to talk while you guys are competing. And we will be rooting for Team USA and all the competitors back here at home. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you and have a great day and good luck in your competitions. Thank you. Thank you all so much for listening to the June 2021 episode of Great Wide Open. I hope you all enjoyed the conversation with the Olympians as much as I did. Probably pretty obvious by now that I will be very excited to watch this Olympics and see how Team USA does in its inaugural performance with sport climbing. I would like to add that this show was recorded prior to the tragic events that have befallen us with the fire in the LaSalle Mountains. This has been such a huge gut punch to the whole community at large, not just the outdoor community, but all of us who love those mountains. I would like to extend a personal thank you to all of the firefighters and all of the frontline workers who are out there dealing with this in this insane heat. Everybody, please stay healthy, stay safe, and take care of each other. That goes for all the rest of you out there in Moablandia as well. Thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next month.